This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from David Mitchell's Soapbox, The Tom Hartman Program, The Rachel Maddow Show, Yes Lab Media, MarkFiore.com, The Young Turks, Activism from the Unfuck It Up Project, 350.org, The Majority Report, The David Pakman Show, The Green News Report, and The Progressive Magazine. It seems such a pity that the clear scientific fact of climate change is seldom expressed by people who don't seem at least a little bit pleased by it. Similarly, sorting it out is always presented as an opportunity or a pleasure, or as something we ought to have been doing for years anyway. In fact, it's just a thing. A really depressing thing that's happening, but the people who tell us so always seem to be radiating one or both of those old parental standbys. I warned you this would happen. There are also often slight undertones of disparagement about industrial pioneers and the human urge to innovate in general, as if poor old George Stevenson should have known perfectly well that when he got that cattle to travel along rails, it would lead inexorably to planetary jeopardy. Well, take that to its logical conclusion, and you're labelling the first caveman who ever fashioned an axe as a cross between Dr. Oppenheimer and BP. This is all grist to the mill of the Clarksons of the world, because it means environmentalists present sorting your recycling as fun, and he presents driving to the North Pole in a 4x4 while drinking gin as fun, and he obviously wins. His is far more fun, because ours isn't fun at all. His is grotesquely irresponsible, but like almost everything else that's grotesquely irresponsible, it's enormous fun. I want to see a global warming expert acknowledge that burning oil and the various machines we've invented that burn oil is brilliant. And it's a real pisser we can't do it anymore, but we can't because of facts. I'm sure that's how many of them must secretly feel. It's certainly how I feel. I'm as big a fan of fossil fuel burning big fast metal things as the next man, and I do mean man. But I just can't persuade myself that climate change isn't happening. I wish I could. I'd really like someone to convince me it's not. But no one has because it is. It's like astrology. Given the choice, I'd like astrology to be true, because it would make deciding what to do easier and give me something to blame when things go wrong. I lost my job because Orion was waning while Scorpio was in Venus's ascent. I mean, demonstrably, I don't know the bullshit jargon. Not because I was too stupid to get my head round spreadsheets. But it isn't true. Life would be a lot easier if astrology was true and climate change wasn't. But bugger it all, it turns out it's the other way round. So let's grimly do our recycling and not use planes as much and sign whatever the next version of the Copenhagen Treaty is, not because any of that stuff is fun or cool or exciting or an opportunity, but because we have to. The alternative attitude is no more convincing than it was when Mum said, why don't you kids have a race to see who can tidy their rooms fastest? We didn't fall for it then and we don't fall for it now. But we still have to do it because it is our room, stroke planet. We did mess it up, stroke pump its atmosphere full of CO2. And if we don't do something about it, there won't be any pudding, stroke Maldives. Car was told at nine this morning. Minneapolis, I need more warning. Clean up, street clean up. To the end pump with the rest of the city. This part of town is awfully filthy clean up. Making us dinner was never this difficult. We don't have the option to go out as often. We're going to clean up. Welcome back. According to a report released today by the United Nations, the world suffered through unprecedented climate extremes between 2000 and 2010. 
And these are the last years that we have the numbers for. We had a caller earlier going, oh, yeah, you know, look at this uh, website that he promoted on the air uh, that says that uh, you know, there's been no climate change. It's all sunspots. It's right. From Hurricane Katrina and Sandy here in the U.S. to epic heat waves in Europe and devastating floods in Australia and the Middle East, virtually every part of the globe was affected by global warming-induced extreme weather. This report, published by the U.N.'s World Meteorological Organization, noted that every year of the decade ending in 2010, except for 2008, was among the 10 warmest since record-keeping began in the 1850s. Now, wait a minute. I thought the Koch brothers told me that warming had leveled off. No. The WMO report also says that between 2000 and 2010, 370,000 people died worldwide as a result of extreme weather events, and that death rate is up 20% from the 1990s, the decade before. Now, the good news is that a lot of countries around the globe are doing their part to fight the biggest threat that our planet has ever faced. Countries like Germany are leading the way when it comes to producing clean and green renewable sources of energy, while China, America's biggest competitor, has already rolled out a cap-and-trade program in Shenzhen, one of that nation's largest industrial cities, as a test for the entire nation. Unfortunately, you can't say the same thing about the United States of America. We're doing squat. It's because politicians in Washington are doing absolutely nothing to curb climate change or to prevent future devastating superstorms and extreme weather events. In fact, all of the recently elected rep Republicans in the House of Representatives say that they doubt humans are causing global climate change, despite mountains of research and studies proving otherwise. If you don't believe me, just ask freshman Republican Congressman Jim Bridenstine, or Stein, Jim Bridenstine of Oklahoma. On the House floor last month, the freshman congressman demanded that President Obama apologize to Oklahomans for allocating federal funding to climate change research. Bridenstine said that, Here's what we absolutely know. We know that Oklahoma will have tornadoes when the cold jet stream meets the warm Gulf air, and we also know that this president spends 30 times as much money on global warming research as he does on weather forecasting and warning. For this gross misallocation, the people of Oklahoma are ready to accept the president's apology, and I intend to submit legislation to fix this. End of quote. Bridenstine is proof that if you're a big oil company or a shill for the fossil fuel industry, buying off a Republican lawmaker is the best investment you can make. As the website OpenSecrets.org points out, Bridenstein and other climate change-denying Republican lawmakers have received a small fortune in campaign donations from some not-so-climate-change-friendly groups. According to OpenSecrets.org, during the 2013 campaign cycle, Bridenstine, along with uh, alone, received money from ExxonMobil, Latshaw Drilling, WPX Energy, Chesapeake Energy, Devon Energy, and Coke Industries. In fact, all of them were in his top 20 donors. For some big oil bankroller, simply buying off Washington politi politicians isn't enough. That's where the Koch brothers, two of the fossil fuel industry's biggest friends, come in. Through their Americans for Prosperity front group, the Koch brothers have succeeded in getting politicians from Congress and state officials to sign on to a Grover Norquist-like pledge. 
But instead of pledging not to raise taxes, these lawmakers have pledged to block any legislation that might lead to cap-and-trade or a carbon tax unless it's accompanied by an equivalent amount of spending cuts. Right. The pledge, known officially as the No Climate Tax Pledge, was created by the very same men whose very own companies, this is the Koch brothers, emitted over 24 million tons of carbon dioxide in 2011, according to the EPA. So it should come as no surprise that the Koch brothers want to protect their so-called right to pollute our environment and do irre- and their so-called right to do irreversible damage to our planet. More than 400 Republican lawmakers in Washington and across the country have signed on to this pledge, promising to, quote, oppose any legislation relating to climate change that includes a net increase in government revenue, end of quote. That number of, of shills who have signed on includes 76 Republican freshman congressmen, the entire GOP House leadership, and just about every Republican lawmaker in the state of Wisconsin, including Governor Scott Walker. Nearly a quarter of the U.S. Senators have also signed on to the Koch Brothers Pledge. I thought we were over it with the pledges already. I mean, once again, you got millionaires and billionaires corrupting our democracy, buying off our politicians, putting money and greed ahead of the well-being of the American people, and in this case, frankly, ahead of the well-being of this entire planet. You know, we just can't continue to let billionaires like the Koch brothers buy off politicians left and right while everyone else is left to suffer. Some issues are bigger than politics, and the and the fate of the only planet that we can call home is certainly one of them. It's time once and for all to get money out of politics, because if we don't, the end of the world and life as we know it may be just down the road. Go to movetoamend.org an organization with which I have no affiliation whatsoever, but they are, this is the tip of the spear to produce change. Move to amend.org to reclaim your voice in our American democracy and thus help to save our We just got in some dramatic footage. Um, yesterday morning at about 8.45 a.m. local time, residents along the Gulf Coast in Louisiana got the sort of news alert that tends to wrinkle in that part of the country. Rig explosion just offshore. Uh, it's just before 9 a.m. Look at this. This drilling rig, owned by a company called Walter Oil and Gas, experienced a major emergency, a serious well blowout. All 44 crew members abandoned the rig. Everybody evacuated. The crew members boarded two lifeboats. They were then rescued by a nearby supply ship that brought all of them safely to shore. What was already a bad situation on that rig with that blown-out natural gas well hours later then got a whole lot worse. That stranded, blown-out, evacuated rig, which was uncontrollably leaking natural gas, then ignited. 
At about 10.45 last night, the rig suddenly burst into flames, and then it just kept on burning. This huge, out-of-control, natural gas-fed fire in that blown-out well. That fire began late last night. The reason this picture looks like daylight is because it has continued to burn throughout today. Officials in Louisiana have sent the day, spent the day not only trying to figure out how to put that fire out as the rig increasingly collapses, they're also trying to regain control of the runaway well, something that so far they have been unable to do. The latest plan is maybe to try to set up something alongside it to drill a relief well so the well that's blown would essentially shut itself down eventually and stop spewing natural gas into those flames and into the Gulf. This latest rig explosion in the Gulf of Mexico happened not far from where the Deepwater Horizon rig blew out back in 2010, which of course caused the worst environmental disaster in American history. In terms of the environmental toll from this current accident, it remains unclear at this point, and frankly, it's still ongoing. Officials at one point reported seeing a mile-long sheen on the surface of the water in that part of the Gulf, as well as that ominous natural gas cloud that has been spreading from the rig ever since it exploded yesterday morning. But the situation remains fluid tonight. Again, that explosion took place on board a blown-out natural gas drilling rig just off the coast of Louisiana, about 50 miles off coast. Now... This is the scene, about 2,000 miles to the north. This is an underground blowout, an underground blowout of sticky, toxic tar sands oil bubbling up from underneath the ground in Alberta, Canada. Alberta is the home of Canadian tar sands oil, which is the stuff that would flow through the Keystone Pipeline if it's approved. And this week we learned about an underground oil blowout that caused this tar sands mess up there. We learned about that spill this week. But as the Toronto Star and Mother Jones have been reporting, it seems like this tar sands leak in Alberta has been going on actually for nine weeks now. It has been going on out of control for more than two months, and nobody in the public seems to have known about it until now. The Toronto Star broke this story open after talking to a government scientist who'd been on scene at the spill site, who thought that the response was utter chaos, and who is now essentially blowing the whistle on both the spill and the company responsible. The scientist says the company is not disclosing the scope of these spills and that it's not just one of them. They're taking place, he says, in four separate sites in eastern Alberta. The scientist told the Toronto Star, quote, everybody at the company and in government is freaking out about this. We do not understand what happened. Nobody really understands how to stop it from leaking, or if they do, they have not put the measures into place. That spill in Alberta is not to be confused with the other spill in Alberta that you might remember us reporting on from a few weeks ago. That one took place in northern Alberta near a place called Zama City. That was the spill that officials chose not to disclose to the public until 11 days after it happened. That spill in northern Alberta, which is seen here, is different from the new spill in eastern Alberta, which you'd see here. You can see how you might get them confused. What's happening now is this sort of constant slow-motion environmental disaster when it comes to energy production, particularly when it comes to the fossil fuel industry. Out-of-control natural gas explosions off the Gulf Coast, almost daily tar sands oil spills to our north in Canada, sometimes even in, in our own backyard in places like suburban Arkansas. What caused that pipeline rupture down there anyway? These recurring disasters serve as the backdrop to the big political fights we are having in this country right now on the issue of energy. And today that political fight was put into stark relief when President Obama delivered his high-profile economic address that the White House had been hyping for days. 
president said today that this is the first in a series of speeches on economic issues that the president is going to be traveling the country to deliver over the next few weeks. In today's speech, the president touted the fact that during his presidency, we have doubled our investments as a nation in wind power and in solar power. The president said our priority as a country must be to cut down on carbon emissions and invest in renewable energies that do not add to the carbon problem. Clean up the environment and move to new, cleaner sources of energy. Well, Republicans, congressional Republicans decided that they were going to pre-butt the president's big speech today by announcing ahead of the speech that their plan on energy and the environment is to cut the budget of the EPA by a third Oh, yeah. Environmental protection. Who needs it? Especially now. House Republicans, ahead of President Obama's big speech today, moved to cut funding to the EPA by 34%. And while the president is insisting that Americans reduce carbon emissions, Republicans included provisions in their bill today to block the EPA from controlling carbon emissions. House Republicans, while they were at it, also voted to slash the president's funding request for renewable energy. And I know everybody says slash whenever they're talking about like 2% cuts or whatever. But look at this. It's a 72% cut for renewable energy. That's slashed. The top Republican on the House Appropriations Committee laughed about it to reporters, saying about the president today, quote, his priorities are going nowhere. We are in the midst of a slow motion environmental disaster when it comes to energy right now. And the two sides that are fighting it out in the political arena on that issue could not be any farther apart even if they wanted to be. And so what happens next? As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. wanted to make a political point about an organization that's pulling off some of the world's biggest hoaxes. No, not this organization. The one across the street. The one that looks like a U.S. government office, but really is working against the government. In reality, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is a large corporation that is reported to lie to the public on behalf of even bigger corporations. They spend nearly half a million dollars a day trying to convince the U.S. government to do really stupid shit, like killing environmental regulations and undermining workers' rights. But since they spend so much money on their hoaxes, many people believe them. And as it says, American free enterprise dream big, but their dreams are our nightmares because their plans are to prevent us from passing climate change legislation, which means we're screwed. Since the chamber was hoaxing us all, 
we decided to fight fire with fire. We would reveal one of their biggest lies by masquerading as them. We would hold a press conference as the chamber at the National Press Club. How would the world react to the chamber suddenly reversing its position on climate change? Bit of reversal on climate change from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. It will reverse its position on the climate change bill and once a carbon tax, if you will. All right, so the U.S. Chamber is denying it now. All right, so maybe not. Apparently it was a hoax. Either there is a group or some people or a person. Is there any involvement of the White House whatsoever? Uh, I couldn't even begin to go there, Larry. This is the item we got. It has the Chamber's logo that we're all very familiar with. Today, the country's largest business lobby, the Chamber of Commerce, got punked. It began early this morning when a press release went out, purportedly from the United States Chamber of Commerce. Amazingly, the release said that the Chamber would now support this legislation that it spent months fighting against. Reporters were surprised and probably confused at this odd turn of events, but that was nothing compared to what actually happened at the press conference when it was held later on this morning. Watch this tape. Clean coal is, is a, a technology that has not only not been proven, it basically doesn't exist. Okay, this is, uh, I'm Eric Wolfschlegel, I'm with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Um, this is not an official U.S. Chamber of Commerce event. Um, so, I don't know what pretenses you're here. I know some of you uh, in the press world, but this is a fraudulent press activity and a stunt. Who are you really, sir? And do you have a business card? Are you with the U.S. Chamber? I, I do. We can discuss afterwards. Okay. Can but I see your business card? Can I see yours? Are you here representing the U.S. Chamber of Commerce? Yes, I am. Okay, well, I work there, and you do not look familiar to me at all. Could I see your business Is this card? A stunt? Could I see your business Is this card? A stunt? Are you interrupting a president? Yes, I am. And, uh, this guy does not represent the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Can we finish the Okay. No. This is not an official Chamber of Commerce. This is not. Uh, what is your position at the Chamber of Commerce? I just spoke my position. We've got working. What is your What is your title and your official title at the U.S. Chamber? I'm of the assistant to Mr. Donahue. Okay. okay. This guy is a fraud. He's lying. Um, this is you know a stunt that I've never seen before. So if you'd like to actually talk to the legitimate Chamber of Commerce, I've got my business cards outside. This gentleman, I will assure you, does not have any business cards, and he's not legitimate. Show me your business card. No, show me yours. No, show me yours. Yeah, they both look like imposters. <laughs> what? But it's you just, got a business card? I, it's so weird, though. But you don't look familiar. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce says it was victimized. Victims of a hoax by environmental activists. A hoax actually led to the, the chamber admitting that there is a challenge for climate change. It seems like a good first step. So next up, hoax is about poverty, violence, Education. Hunger, educa the big education hoax. We've got the a big education the hoax, hoax in the country. The hoax is a good first step. Yeah. Just today, the Chamber of Commerce changed positions, not courtesy of the yes men with right, that stunt right, right. in Washington a few weeks ago. But they're now saying, uh, surprisingly to me, and I'm glad about it, that they want to get legislation and they're now working with the sponsors of the bill.
I'm back. Tarzan's Timmy here to tell you everything is still coming up crude. Er, bitumen. Er, dirty sandy monkey oil glue that takes loads of energy, depth, and destruction to get to market. But beautiful crude, nonetheless. And don't worry, the Keystone XL pipeline will happen. Sure, there's been a little public outcry. And a little conflict of interest problem with the company the State Department hired to do environmental impact reporting. But how were they to know they were also working for TransCanada, the company whose pipeline they were reviewing? I mean, this is a reputable company who's done these environmental reviews before. Like for a pipeline in the Caspian Sea, they declared safe. Oops. Or for ExxonMobil. Oops. Or for a pipeline project in the Amazon. Oops. Oops. That wasn't... Oops. Good thing Tarzan's Timmy has a few people working for him on the inside. And if for some strange, un-American reason, the Keystone XL pipeline doesn't happen, there are plenty of Keystone clones in the works. Thanks to my profitable pipeline pals, there's another Keystone happening right under your nose. And it'll move almost as much crude as Keystone XL, making it the first pipeline to get beautiful tar sands gunk all the way from Canada to the Gulf. And who knows where after that? Best part is, Enbridge has plans for 5,000 miles of pipeline. You know, Enbridge Incorporated, the company that brought you the largest pipeline spill in the history of the United States. So don't you worry about Tar Sands Timmy. Either way, I'll be doing just fine. Unless you people keep getting in the way. Thanks to my corporate pals, oil lobbyists, and political connections, it'll be coming up dirty crude for years to come. But I can't confront the downside. Hi everyone, today in lieu of asking you to support this show, I want to ask you to support my fundraising effort for this year's Climate Ride. This will be my second year in a row raising money for 350.org, the best climate organization I know of with a massive international reach, and the Chesapeake Climate Action Network, the best local climate organization, which works in Maryland, D.C., and Virginia, and also happens to be the place where I used to work, so I know personally how much they deserve the support. In exchange for you helping me reach my goal of $2,400 raised, I will be riding my bike the 300 miles between New York City and Washington, D.C. over the course of five days in September. To contribute, simply visit climateride.org and search for my name, Jay, and you'll see the full name, Jay Tomlinson, pop right up. Click the name, see my fundraising page, and make a tax-deductible donation. I've already contributed to get the ball rolling. Thanks in advance for your support. For those of you hoping that the Keystone XL pipeline will not be completed for a variety of reasons, environmental reasons, things like that, there is some evidence today that President Barack Obama is changing his mind, ch changing his plans to finish the pipeline. Here's some video. They, they keep on talking about this, uh, an oil pipeline coming down from Canada that's estimated to create about 50 permanent jobs. That's not a jobs plan. <laughs> Wasting the country's time by taking something like 40 meaningless votes to repeal Obamacare is not a jobs plan. That's not a jobs plan. 
Okay, so I'd read the quotes. That's the first time I saw the video. When he starts doing his little, huh, in the middle of it, you know he's in attack mode. That's, I, he's against it now. I mean, that's cool southern drawl, Obama. Mm. You uh -huh. know when he's feeling good about something, he gets a little southern. He, he feels has like his he hand in it. his pocket. He laughs through what he's saying. He becomes more he, personable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I... All right. Uh, he mentioned specific. So, uh, of course, uh, proponents of the Keystone XL pipeline will say that it will create as many as 20,000 jobs. And yeah. that's the, the, con the continuous argument that they make. That like, the oh, company makes. That the, yes, that the company makes. And, of course, Cornell University did its own study, an independent study, and they found... Actually, it's probably going to create about 2,000 temporary jobs, and when it comes to permanent jobs, the number will be much less, between 50 to 100. Yeah. And this is something that we've all known. When it comes to the construction of something, construction is a temporary job. It's right. going to take a year to two years to build it, and then what happens? Like, this is yeah. really your solution to unemployment? Yeah. Well, no, I mean, look, the temporary construction jobs are fine. Like, uh, like I, like many Democrats, believe that we should do some sort of massive investment in infrastructure across the country, and that can certainly stimulate the economy across the country. That's fine. But 2,000 jobs, like that's, that's basically irrelevant when you have a country of hundreds of millions of people working. And so I love that he's pointing that out. Of course, there are even better reasons to oppose it, like the environmental damage from all the extra carbon that will be released because it's particularly dirty oil that we're going to be drilling for. Um, an interesting uh, consumer watchdog report came out with uh, their analysis that, that said that because now that oil will be able to be sold globally instead of just being distributed around here, uh, Gas prices in the Midwest could go up 20 to 40 cents per gallon. It's unbelievable. After the drill but, baby drilling. But that's the information that should be drilled in Americans' heads. Like, you oh, don't God. see any coverage about that. I mean, people will automatically assume that if we drill for more oil, of course, that means that we have an abundance of, you know, this resource and our gas mm -hmm. prices will go down. But that is not the case. It's unbearable. And I, I look... I like that video. I'm happy that Obama said what he said, but talk is cheap, and I'm very curious to see what his actions will be in the future. Today's activism segment comes to you, as always, in partnership with the Unfuck It Up Project, where creator Katie Goodman and director Katie Klebusik encourage involvement over apathy by highlighting people and organizations that are doing good for their communities and the world. Today's campaign, Draw the Line on Keystone. By now, you're likely familiar with the proposed Keystone XL pipeline, which would carry Canadian tar sands heavy crude across the U.S. over aquifers and slicing through farmland to be exported overseas via the Gulf refineries. Since the plans were announced, brave climate activists have been standing up, getting arrested, and demanding that President Obama keep his promise to address climate change. The State Department's Office of the Inspector General announced on August 23rd that its probe into possible, or what most of us would call obvious, conflicts of interest between Environmental Resources Management, ERM, the company hired to conduct the environmental assessment of the pipeline, and TransCanada, the pipeline's backer, may not be complete until January. Extending the inquiry could put off the State Department's decision on Keystone, which had been expected to come this fall. Clearly, the administration is feeling the pressure groups such as Tar Sands Blockade, Credo Action, the 
Sierra Club, 350.org, and others have applied through civil disobedience, petitions, and public education campaigns. These groups are standing together on September 21st to, quote, draw the line on Keystone XL. The main action plan for that day will bring together activists in every corner of the country as they link arms and stretch out banners to show their commitment to stopping Keystone XL or any other tar sands project. Organizers will be taking photos at the actions for 350.org where they will be used to emphasize the ways our communities are already impacted by climate change and tar sands damage. Grist reports that only 0.09% of oil sands 4,000 infractions over the past 15 years have resulted in so much as a fine for the companies responsible. We must stand with 350.org's coalition now. Once the pipeline is built, the already overworked EPA will have no way to keep up. The stories reported in the Huffington Post this week from Mayflower, Arkansas, where Exxon blew a mere 5,000 barrels of tar sand crude this spring, would become all too familiar. Residents are sick, oil remains a visible contaminant, and Exxon is escaping a cleanup lawsuit on a technicality. The heavy crude plus the bitumen chemical that keeps it flowing is not legally classified as oil. Go to 350.org and click the Draw the Line banner to find the event in your area. Organizers are available to help you create one if you're the first in your city to stand with them. Let's make it clear to President Obama and the State Department that Mayflower cannot become routine. Links for today's campaign will be in the show notes and all the usual places. Visit the Best of the Left Facebook page for updates on this and other activism opportunities. Also, remember that we encourage you to use your phone or other mobile device to record audio of your experience at any political event you attend to send in to be used on the show. Could you help unfuck it up And then say, are you really so fucking busy You can't take one fucking minute to help unfuck it up Cause I'm willing to pick one thing to help unfuck it up Won't you join me? Andrew Sandy Ivan Katrina Since 1954, the World Meteorological Organization has been naming hurricanes and tropical storms. But what did these people do to deserve having their names attached to this? As climate change continues to create more frequent and devastating storms, we propose a new naming system. One that names extreme storms after policymakers who deny climate change. We propose something like this. Senator Marco Rubio is expected to pound the eastern seaboard sometime early tonight. Windows are being boarded up and grocery stores are virtually empty as Marco Rubio threatens everything in his path. Now, Michelle Bachman is on the way, folks, and specifically the eye of Michelle Bachman will be hitting Florida in a few hours. Congresswoman Michelle Bachman is incredibly dangerous. If you value your life, please seek shelter from Michelle Bachman. Senator David Bitter is turning out to be one of the hugest and costliest disasters in American history. David Bitter is literally lifting boats out of the water and tossing them onto the land. In New Orleans, the levees that were built to stop Hurricane Colin Peterson have been obliterated. I'm here at the North Pier where Speaker John Boehner is really doing a number on this coastline. John Boehner is just destroying this town. 
local animal shelters are under pressure as thousands of animals have been displaced or killed by Governor Rick Perry. We can't even take care of the animals that we've rescued, and so some of them are going to have to be put down, all because of Rick Perry. We've been here for two days because of Congressman Paul Ryan. I have friends still out there. It's scary because I have no idea what Paul Ryan could be doing to them right now. Senator James Inhofe has turned out to be a worst-case scenario come true. And now an entire nation is wondering how they'll ever recover from the disaster that is James Inhofe. If you agree that it's time for a naming system that names extreme storms caused by climate change after policymakers who deny climate change, sign the petition at climatenamechange.org before John Boehner blows your entire city away. According to Guy McPherson, many climate change predictions are conservative and linear, not taking into account positive feedback phenomena that are already a reality. He sees, see, says these effects are irreversible and we should be expecting a mass extinction event as early as 2030. I hadn't even realized that the Arctic methane release has already started and none of the projections factor this in. Have you heard of Guy McPherson? Uh, how skeptical are you when people uh, predict mass economic societal collapse? Lately, when it comes to climate, I'm feeling more like I should be preparing for some quick catastrophe as opposed to slow socioeconomic decline. Um, you know, I think when we had Jeff uh, Goodell on, um, I think we had talked about how he projects and how the science projects this will happen. There will be spikes of catastrophe, then will calm, and then spikes. Uh, I, you know, look, I am, I, I have a theory about people who um, were from Gen X, uh, that age. Part of it was the sort of growing up in anticipation of the new millennium. Uh, I have a theory about <clears throat> people born sort of in the shadow of, of when a uh, millennium changes, that they are prone to apocalyptic thinking. Um, just because it is, you know, that same theory on like, I'm going to start my diet on Monday. Why Monday? Just because. Something's going to change for me at the beginning of the week. So... I feel that I can be prone to such apocalyptic musings. I, for one, though, do, I don't know if it's, uh, look, I don't know, 2030. I think it is inevitable, in one shape or another, that there is going to be uh, a lot of social upheaval as a function of climate change. <clears throat> 
I don't know uh, where that will happen necessarily. I don't know if it will happen in this country. Uh, but I think it's going to tax the resources of, of governments. I think it's going to create massive food shortages. I think it's going to make uh, some areas inhabitable, uninhabitable. Um, and I don't know when this happens, but there seems to be preponderance of the science. Put aside whether or not this is um, man-made. There seems to be a preponderance of the science that suggests this is happening, that it's going to have catastrophic implications. Um, I can tell you what James Lovelock said, and he sort of walked this back. This is the guy who found the hole in the ozone layer. He said, um, we're not talking about the end of humanity, just the end of civilization as we know it. He, he at one point predicted that... Um, we could easily go from 6 billion to 1 billion people on the planet. Um, yeah, that wouldn't happen overnight. Uh, so I don't, I, I don't know. Um, I think there's an argument being made that, uh, you know, that has some legitimacy that we should be uh, developing chemical-based food. Um, So I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I think the socioeconomic decline uh, could be, uh, w will be slow. I don't think there's going to be one day where half of the country is underwater. Um, I think we're going to see more and more extreme weather situations, more and more flooding. And, you know, the economic impact of that is it's hard to to necessarily feel um, if you're not living in the direct path of that right away. There's no demons or gods to blame And there's nowhere to hide From this slow decline Hi, I'm Sam Cedar. You may know me from my shows on Air America Radio, from filling in for Keith Olbermann on Countdown, or even, God forbid, my directing shows like Comedy Central's I'm With Busey. If not, you should really get to know me. Not personally, of course. I think we'd both find that uncomfortable. But if you're a fan of the best of the left like me, I think you'll enjoy my daily live show and podcast, The Majority Report, at Majority.fm. It's a daily dose of political news, analysis, and guests like Chris Hayes, Robert Reich, Digby, comedians like Mark Marin, Janine Garofalo, filmmakers like Morgan Spurlock and Lucy Walker, and on occasion, between my rants on raising taxes, ending wars, and decorporatizing our democracy, I can be mildly amusing. I'm unbought and unbossed daily on the Majority Report at Majority.fm. Solar power in Spain. A lot of people are angry that Spain has essentially privatized the sun. They've put together a consumption tax on solar power via a royal decree. It taxes people who are gathering sunlight on their own. In other words, you can pay to have a professional installation done um, 
of, of solar panels and a, and a large installation with an official uh, utility company. If you choose to have the install done privately, so to speak, you can have to pay, uh, you, you can be forced to pay a fine of up to 30 million euros for illegally gathering sunlight without paying a tax. The tax happens to be just enough to make sure that homeowners who are gathering and storing solar energy cheaper than the state-sponsored providers have to pay a tax that makes it slightly more expensive, completely disincentivizing the advancement and creativity of ways to harness solar power. I think this is a real problem. I understand why the government is doing it. Um, the Secretary of State for Energy is being labeled a backup toll, and it's high enough to make sure that it will be slightly cheaper to keep buying energy from the current official providers. I think this is a real problem. Um, the equipment has decreased about 80% in Spain in, in terms of price to, to harness solar power on your own. If you were thinking, this is really cheap, I'm going to take advantage of this, this tax essentially makes it an, a no-win, Lewis. Yeah, I, I can't believe I'm hearing this. Um, I don't know what types of, of taxes like this are uh, the poor citizens of Spain are, are hit with, but this one is is despicable. I, I can't believe this is happening. I mean, Europe is supposed to be the place where uh, the place where people are pioneering in areas like this. Well, I understand and that the economic situation in Spain is problematic right now. I was just in Spain last week and talking to a lot of different people about the job situation, about the economic situation. I understand that. But there's another way to view this, which is, okay, the government can, can recoup or get additional tax revenues by doing this. But the other side of it would be, what about a complete energy revolution in Spain by allowing people to save the money by, by doing the installations with, without the state-sponsored providers and turn Spain into a bastion of alternative energy over the longer term? And maybe Spain, maybe the economic situation is so bad that Spain can't weather the temporary loss of revenue, that's going to be good for Spain in the same way that, well, I don't, I don't want to make a direct comparison, but that sugarcane and ethanol in Brazil has been very good for Brazil. And I know that there's still tons of problems, but so, so it may not be the best analogy, but I, I just completely disagree that this is the best way to go about it. You're completely disincentivizing people from continuing to develop ways to, to harness solar power more cheaply by just saying, hey, if you do that, you're going to end up paying the same amount or more than if you just did the kind of tired old thing of going with the state providers. I completely disagree with it. It's Yeah, it's a lack of foresight. And let's keep in mind that with solar power, you can actually pump energy that you collect from the sun back into the grid. Um, but that and, doesn't really help the government. The individual gets money for that. Well, but that, you know, in, in the long term, it, it really can. In the long term, it can. All right, so we're going to keep following the story there. Send me your thoughts. There was actually a diesel tax in Finland at one point with the same idea um, because diesel was providing much better gas mileage. You had to pay an additional tax that kind of took away the benefit, and it just didn't make any sense.
The planet has entered a new normal of extreme weather, says the American Meteorological Society and NOAA in their latest State of the Climate report. With the number of extreme events cited in this report, the high number of extreme events uh, in 2011, caution us to be looking at a likely future where extremes are more frequent and more intense than, than what we have accounted for in the past. That was Jackie Richter-Mend, research civil engineer with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers on the record temperature changes in the Arctic. The State of the Climate report shows 2012 was a record year, one of the 10 warmest years on record globally. Arctic sea ice and Greenland saw record melting. Sea levels reached a record high in 2012, and sea surface temperatures also climbed significantly. Scientists warn these are the new normal. Yeah, but Congressman Kevin Cram- from North Dakota says we know the global climate's cooling number one we know that and he's wrong says the American Geophysical Union the professional scientific organization of earth scientists on Monday they released their most blunt official position statement on climate change yet saying quote humanity is the major influence on the global climate change observed over the last 50 years and human induced climate change requires urgent action but the public does not know this in an interview with NPR, climate scientist Amy Clement said, People say, oh, what do you do? I talk about, I'm a climate scientist. Oh, is global warming happening? And, I mean, that is so well established in the scientific literature, and somehow the public still has the perception that that is not well established. That somehow is actually conservative media. A new study attempting to find the source of public confusion over climate change pins the blame squarely on conservative media outlets misinforming the public about the fact, like, say, promoting paid climate deniers as objective sources rather than actual scientists. The study confirms previous findings showing that the more time people watch Fox News, the more wrong things they believe. Can I just say here that's not conservative media, that's right-wing, fossil-fuel-funded media. Nothing conservative about them, to be frank. That's true. And the disinformation comes from members of Congress as well. As you heard, Representative Kevin Kramer of North Dakota, who believes that global warming is fraudulent science intended to promote wind farms. The fossil fuel industry is very happy about that. Skeptics of global warming like to say follow the money, but they never follow the money, the real money, back to the fossil fuel industry, the most profitable industry in the history of civilization. That's right. The Center for Responsive Politics reports that 85% of campaign donations this cycle from the oil, gas, and mining industries went to Republican candidates. Follow the money. 85%. The best things in life are free, but you can Rush Limbaugh is stepping back into the debate over climate change, and he has a, a message to the nation's Christians on climate change. Let's watch. My humble opinion, folks, if you believe in God, then intellectually you cannot believe in man-made global warming. You must be either agnostic or atheistic to believe that man 
controls something he can't create. It's always, in fact, been one of the uh, reasons for my anti man-made global warming stance the the vanity i mean these people on the one hand were no different than a mouse or a rat if you listen to animal rights activists we are the pollutants the vanity and the arrogance we are so powerful and we are so impotent that omnipotent that we can destroy we can't even stop a rain shower but we can destroy the climate. And how? With barbecue pits and automobiles, particularly SUVs. It's absurd. That was awesome. It was. I hadn't there... heard it. I just read it before. Yeah. I, I much prefer that kind of sermon from uh, with a southern accent on the 700 Club in a <laughs> yes. softer voice. <laughs> I, it, it, I always trust Pat more than I do Rush on the same, when they're on the same uh, script. Well, part of the reason for that is, does anyone actually believe Rush Limbaugh is religious? No. Uh, I mean, the guy who went with like a barrel of Oxycontin to the Dominican Republic or wherever he went, or Honduras to... Uh, and Viagra. Uh, yeah, and by the way, greatest Freudian slip ever, right there. Yes, that was I awesome. I can't believe he allowed that What was the Freudian slip? Instead of saying omnipotent, he first said impotent. Oh, impotent. Yeah. Oh, impotent. That's yeah. why my eyes oh. shot open. Yeah, and so the man Soundboard. who was using that Viagra and... With, did he happen to get lucky a lot in, in the Caribbean when he went? <laughs> okay. <laughs> or perhaps he was purchasing certain folks? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and he needed all that Viagra? It said, oh, come on, come on, come on. The 40th slip was yeah. great. The lack of actual faith and spirituality by Rush Limbaugh is over. By the way, if you believe in the Bible, it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. I mean, get a little Rush Limbaugh passing through the eye of a needle. My, I, used to get, uh, I used to get that same kind of stuff from my uncle John in college. He used to write me, and he was he was a full blown schizophrenic, <laughs> <laughs> and he was being treated, and he was in an institution. The letters are the identical. He, he could would have made say a lot things of money. like that. Do you, if you believe in God, then you can't possibly believe that these two you know I mean it's like there he's in a bunker I think with no windows and it sounds like there are bottles of urine lining the walls I mean that is just very weird if you but, believe in something for but, which there is absolutely no proof and never will be yes. something which at its core is a 100% taken on faith they say it yeah. Then intellectually, you can't what? possibly believe the thing that's already been proven scientifically. <laughs> what? And also, yeah. speaking about the, the schizophrenics, he says there that, oh my God, they try to tell us that we are small, we are just mice, but we can control the entire climate. Like that there's that huge disparity there. I, I know that he may not be peddling this theory, although many of the people who listen to it believe the theory that we can't change the climate, but we do have machines, the CIA has machines that can create tornadoes. So who actually has the crazy ideas about how weather can be manipulated? <laughs> Look, I, I love the irony of uh, Rush using the word intellectually in that, yeah. in that uh, <laughs> diatribe. Uh, but let's think this through for a second. If we have not created something, he said, this is his logic, or lack thereof, uh, we cannot possibly control it. Okay, but I haven't created a rock, and I can still pick it up and throw it at your head, right? <laughs> I, I can control it. I didn't, it uh, God created, if you believe in God, the land that Hiroshima was on. 
but we nuked the living crap out of it and thereby changed it. A right? little. A little. A little bit. I mean, it makes no sense, even if you're deeply religious and fundamentalist. In fact, most, of course, uh, most religious people reject this. Yeah. Now, 65% uh, of uh, mainline Protestants, 60% of Catholics say, yes, we believe in man-made 50% of evangelical. 50% of evangelical I, Christians. I will say this. If, there, if, if you do believe in God, God did create Rush Limbaugh, and you can't control him. <laughs> That's a great point. You. you know what? Touche. I'm, so, I'm done. The news on global warming is not good. A draft of the latest report by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change rings yet another alarm about the dangers that lurk ahead. For all the climate deniers out there, and I was on radio debating one last week, this latest report gives no comfort. It says that humans are virtually without a doubt the main cause of global warming, and things look bleak. Before the century's out, if we continue along our fossil fuel path, the sea level is likely to rise by as much as two or three feet. This would jeopardize the viability of some of the world's most populous cities, including London, Miami, New Orleans, New York, Shanghai, Sydney, and Venice. It could also devastate countries in the Caribbean and Micronesia, as well as Bangladesh, Malaysia, Indonesia, and the Philippines, putting millions of people who live in low-lying areas at risk of drowning. This is a calamity of biblical proportions, and the U.S. isn't doing nearly enough to forestall it. The Obama administration has dragged its feet on agreeing to mandatory limits on CO2, for instance. Meanwhile, ExxonMobil and the Koch brothers and their ilk insist on extracting every single last drop of fossil fuel from the earth. Fortunately, there's a burgeoning mass movement led by Bill McKibben and 350.org to wean us off fossil fuels and bring us back from the brink. Therein lies the hope for the planet. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it. I solved the environment. Frankly, I expected this to make more of a stir than it did, but no matter, saving the world is its own reward. However, someone did point out that in order for my brilliant environment-saving policy to work, we will first have to convince everyone that it needs saving. 
this is true, but I've always found it rather baffling that it's true. Surely, if the people who doubt the existence or extent of man-made climate change are reasonable and intelligent people, they would have to agree the onus is on them to prove it's not worth doing something about, just in case. I mean, don't get me wrong, I believe it's been proved. Every scientific body of national or international standing either agrees with or is neutral towards the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change's consensus that climate change exists. I mean, everyone, no one disagrees, not one single reputable bunch of scientists. And by scientists, I mean people who have the expertise and have taken an interest. I don't mean do-gooding liberal stooges. Do you know who the last group to convert were? The American Association of Petroleum Geologists. When even those guys admit it might be happening, and it might be us doing it, it seems pretty clear. But OK, maybe they're all wrong. Maybe everyone who's qualified to look at it, who's looked at it, is wrong. Seems an odd opinion to have, but it's not impossible. Suppose you're one of those people who thinks they might be wrong. Surely you still have to concede it's a possibility that they're not. If all these guys think there is or might be a link, and none of them think there definitely isn't, you surely have to concede there's a question mark. At that point, why take the risk? There doesn't need to be proof there is, but there doesn't need to be proof it's happening for it to be worth doing something about. There needs to be proof it isn't happening for it to be not worth doing something about. You don't say, I, I know you smell smoke and we're having difficulty breathing and it's hot in here and your theory is the roof is on fire, but until I have proof, I'm not going to extinguish my cigar. If a shop thinks it has inadvertently sold a product which might, in unusual circumstances, lead to a 0.1% chance of killing a child, it immediately recalls it. And if you're a parent that bought this product, you take it back. You don't say, well, there's no actual proof this could kill a child. It hasn't done yet. And even if it could, a 0.1% chance is 1 in 10,000. Those are very long odds. And it's a lovely colour. I'll keep it. That would not, in fact, be a ridiculous thing to say. But no one says it. And in this case, we're talking about making the whole planet uninhabitable. And everyone who's qualified to judge says it is, or, or it might be happening. So for God's sake, until we find out for sure, let's recall the product. Stop stocking it. Once we've proved it's not happening, that the sceptics were right, all the scientists, including the petroleum guys, were wrong, and this was a silly fuss about nothing, then great, all aboard the cheap aeroplanes. But for now, get a grip. from Oregon and I just wanted to comment uh, on two things. One is that uh, the, the in information about the insect eating was interesting and I think we should consider it. I mean, we, after all, we do eat lobsters and crabs, which are basically ocean insects. But also, I'd like to point out another TED Talk by a guy named Alan Savory, S-A-V-O-R-Y, I think it's A-L-L-A-N. You can just Google that. And um, it's good news for PETA, in a way. It's good news for people who like to eat meat. And it's good news for the climate. Also, um, on the uh, jobs issue, the minimum wage issue, I once heard, I believe it was Dr. Gregory Boyle, talk about gang members who, um, I'm sorry, not Dr. Father Gregory Boyle, 
uh, talk about gang members who, when asked what it would take to get them out of a gang, they just basically said a job making $15 an hour. And so I believe that that may have some appeal to some people who otherwise wouldn't really support the minimum wage of $15 an hour. So anyway, that's it. Thanks. Bye. Hi, Jay. My name is Yvonne. I live in Wilmington, Delaware, and I wanted to um, respond to your issue for your episode number 748 on LGBTQ rights. Um, as a little background, you and I met after a, at a brief um, meetup that we had in Washington, D.C. in October 2010 after the rally to restore sanity. I asked if you might consider the other side of the LGBT issue gets lost when someone gay comes out. I told you my story of having a closet of my own through no fault of my own. I was and am still directly impacted. Um, on November 10th, 2008, which was the night President Obama was elected, Proposition 8 passed in California, which banned gay marriage. Keith Alderman gave a commentary that night on that topic. An excerpt from what he said hit home with me. Actually, it nearly knocked me over because no one had actually openly spoken of the situation that I recalled. He said, and I'm quoting, Uncountable in our history are the number of men and women forced by society into marrying the opposite sex in sham marriages or marriages of convenience or just marriages of not knowing. Centuries of men and women who have lived their lives in shame and unhappiness and who have, through a lie to themselves and others, broken countless other lives of spouses and children, all because we said a man couldn't marry another man or a woman couldn't marry another woman. The sanctity of marriage. How many marriages like that have there been, and how on earth do they increase the sanctity of marriage rather than men render the term meaningless? So with those terms and words still ringing in my ears, I um, wrote him a response online that night, and here's what I wrote, or at least an excerpt of it, because it was kind of long. I said, thank you for addressing the fallout for marriages where a gay person marries an unsuspecting straight person and then comes out. The whole top eight thing has focused on the institution of marriage and fear that if this proposition failed, normal marriage would morph into something awful. But it failed to look at marriages that occur because gay people are shamed from living their lives honestly. Nothing, absolutely nothing, prepares a woman to discover that the man she gave her heart and soul to before God and family and the sanctity of marriage is someone she really didn't know at all. That the boy that she met and loved from age 12 was lying to her all those years about his orientation because being gay in the 1970s certainly wasn't acceptable. Nothing prepares a young wife of 28 with a mortgage and a three-year-old daughter to learn that her best friend and husband of seven years felt he was living a lie and had known he was gay since he was a young kid. Trust evaporates instantly upon learning something like this from your spouse. Sadly, it affects my ability to trust even today, and I learned a marriage without trust can not survive no matter how determined the partners may be. That was back in March of... 
85, we stayed together for the sake of too many things and too many reasons that were so wrong for both of us. So back then when I wrote it, which was in 2008, I asked the question, what kind of marriage do I have? And I said, well, anyone who thinks gay marriage is so horrible, try living a legal marriage to a man who would rather be physically intimate with another man. A man I still love, yet flinches if I touch him. My marriage is on paper only, the cold, lonely existence to live without love, affection, and intimacy. And to undo this marriage would rewrite history for our children, his elderly mother, aunts, uncles, cousins, siblings, and friends. So I kept it in secret until I could not do it any longer, and I eventually uh, filed for divorce in 2011. Along the way, our two children found out that they found out on their own. But I wanted to tell people who may be in my situation that I got the strength and support I needed to confront my husband and ask for divorce through an organization called the Straight Spouse Network. And if you look online, you can find it under straightspouse.org. They literally saved my life. It's been in existence for nearly 30 years with its global members reaching out to help shell-shocked straight spouses like me cope and move forward. We have gay, lesbian, trans, bi spouses, but some of us also have children with those orientations. We learn to cope and to live again and just to move on. So consider, if you will, the other side of the closet, the one I lived in, which, by the way, is the title of a book written by Dr. Amity Pierce Buxton, founder of the Straight Spouse Network. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make the show possible, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment, question, or to relate your firsthand experience from a political event you've attended to be played on the show, the number to dial is 202-999-3991. So just to follow up on Yvonne's voicemail, I just want to tell the story from my perspective that you know clearly I remember meeting her back in 2010 as she described and you know she related her story to me and asked me if I could cover uh, you know the issue of sort of families and spouses of closeted gay people and the effects that it has on them and I thought well yeah I would love to but you know sort of the restrictions of my show or that I, I sort of have to wait for other people to talk about it and uh, you know back back then the the voicemail section really wasn't what it is today with these sort of in-depth conversations going on you know far beyond the, the clips that are played and so I thought well, I, yeah I'll keep an eye out but I, no one talks about that stuff so it's kind of a catch-22 like I can't I can't promote someone talking about it unless they talk about it. And so it, it really was until just a couple of weeks ago that I came across the uh, the video from the Gay Dad Project and that got played on the show. So that's that's how this conversation started uh, just now. And and it reminded me of, you know, voicemail that was played in in just the previous episode from Elka who calls in often uh, always with great comments either on race issues or or you know privilege and those sorts of things and she talked about being a lifelong lgbtq you know advocate and uh, and activist and and the importance of remembering those on the margins you know gay marriage is important but let's not forget those who are sort of like pushed to the sides and and aren't always uh, in the spotlight 
And so, you know, the connection is obvious that, uh, you know, Yvonne is one of those people that are an example uh, of of those on the margins who don't get paid attention to. And which reminds me, yet again, another voicemail. This one actually didn't get played. But Nathan from Vancouver, he's a regular caller, um, but he, he left a sort of long voicemail. And, and he was asking about, you know, how do we check our biases in real time? And his focus was on, you know, race and, and Trayvon Martin and Zimmerman and, you know, how, how do we, you know, we, we all profile people. It's just a part of the human condition. But being aware of the biases that we have, how do we check those biases? And so, you know, sorry, I didn't get a chance to play his his whole message, but I can answer that question in the best way I know how. Uh, you know, the, the best answer I've found so far is to talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. There's simply no shortcut to gaining awareness beyond being constantly reminded of you know, our place in the world, the privileges inherent to that place, and the biases that we've all formed that, that – form of their own accord, you know, and the more one does this, the easier it becomes and the more capable we are of acting out of thoughtful consciousness in the moment rather than through instinctual bias that we all have. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's a better answer out there, but, you know, that's the the best I've come up with so far. And it's it's definitely true, at least, you know, to a point. And, and so th- that's why I continually cover these issues is because it, it's not it's not just about learning, you know the the updated information or you know a, a new news story that covers a, is just a new example of something we all know. It, it's that these sorts of things sort of have to be drilled into us that we have to be reminded constantly because it's so easy to just fall back into the pattern of being who we are and sort of you know, living inside our own heads and forgetting that the rest of the world is outside of us and sees the world differently and, you know, interacts with the world differently. And so just being constantly reminded of that not only helps us sort of empathize with others and recognize how, how uh, you know, people are different from us, but then actually helps us in real time, at least it has for me, the more I talk about this stuff. The more episodes I do about you know all these sorts of issues, whether whether they be you know racial or LGBTQ or you know any of the dozens of others uh, of examples in my real life in real time, I recognize situations where you know my biases or my privileges are sort of showing themselves, and I can react accordingly to those rather than sort of Monday morning quarterbacking myself and, and just thinking, uh, you know, realizing after the fact, uh, you, you know, the what I had gone through or, or you know, what the situation had been, uh, even though I hadn't recognized it in the first place. And, and Tim Wise, who I, I reference a lot, gave an example uh, that, I, that I shared uh, himself where he saw a couple of black pilots and instantly thought – Oh geez, are, are these guys going to be able to fly this plane okay? And then immediately thought, oh, well, if, that's that's crazy. But he can he was able to recognize his bias, and and then react to it in real time. And and so that's really the best any of us can can hope for is to learn our our biases, and and you know the more we're aware of them, the more we're able to check them in real time. And that that's what Nathan was asking about. You know how if if we're on neighborhood watch. And we see someone who seems suspicious. How do we check ourselves in real time? Are, are, are they suspicious because they're actually suspicious or are they suspicious because they're black?
Now, just a real quick last note before I go, I, I just want to mention that my uh, climate ride is coming up at the end of September, and I am within $400 of my fundraising goal. So you've been hearing me talk about it on, on the show. Uh, go to climateride.org, search for the name Jay. You'll see mine come up, Jay Tomlinson. And uh, you know, if you want to add in a few bucks to put me over the top, that'll be very much appreciated. So that's going to be it for today. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks to those who support the show directly by becoming a member making one-time donations. That's, of course, how the show survives. Stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you every third day, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. And it's a crying shame How we get so trained